0: I don't think I've ever been called an elf before, (laughs) but that's great. Uh, in Dutch, my uh, name rhymes with uh, gnome, the word gnome, kabouter. Oh, no, 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 it's wouter no. kabouter. so I was, when I grew up, wouter kabouter. I think they stopped calling me that after I reached six foot. Uh, but uh, uh, I think uh, that is probably the best explanation I've heard so far from the Dutch gene uh, pool. Um, one of my friends said that all the Dutch are genetically engineered because all the short ones have drowned in the floods and only the tall ones have left over. I think that probably is the second closest one. But uh, uh, Anyway, there you go. <laughs> Um, welcome, you found your way to the seminar uh, Reaching Children in the 21st Century uh, It's great to have you with us And uh, uh, just before we get started i a little bit interested to hear kind of What sort of mix we have around the room So I know how to target uh, the seminar well uh, If you're a children's worker here And you kind of regularly work with children In your church setting Can you just quickly raise your hand Quite a few, fantastic Have we got any teachers in the room? Yeah, quite a few teachers. Uh, Any other people that kind of work with kids in different professions? Yeah, one, fantastic. Anyone uh, that's been church planting in the last five years? Quite a few, fantastic. And anyone who has children of their own? Hey, quite a few, fantastic well I'm going to try to uh, kind of um, uh, focus my talk on slightly uh, different levels so I think if you're a parent here hopefully you're going to gain some stuff uh, for your own family, if you're a children's worker hopefully I can give you some tools and ideas uh, about uh, reaching the kids in your church, uh, if you're part of a church plant uh, I think uh, your kids' work might look very different from a well established church, hopefully we can uh, look at some context there as well, uh, if you're a teacher hopefully uh, you'll gain some uh, inspiration as well, um, Before we get started, let me just uh, quickly uh, introduce myself so you know who's talking to you. Um, As I said, I'm Valter and uh, I'm the uh, father of three little girls uh, maker Alina and Lika and my wife Simona and uh, we've got a very pink household um, Everything frozen we've uh, kind of seen around the house and uh, it's been lots and lots of fun I think being a dad probably has taught me more about children's work than uh, my previous experience uh, working with kids is such a privilege as well as a challenge so uh, I think uh, everything that I've said has been tried and tested and sometimes failed so uh, I think I don't have all the wisdom in the world, but hopefully we can facilitate some experience together. Um, I grew up in Holland, and uh, I used to work with kids from quite an early age. I was a sports instructor uh, when I was about 17, and uh, then I turned uh, to physio. Uh, I worked in a children's hospital, so I think working with kids every day in that setting was quite challenging. Uh, when I was 18 I started um, getting involved with children's work for the very holy reason of impressing a girl Uh, that was part of the team I thought uh, hopefully that will make a good impression Uh, it clearly did because she's now my wife Uh, and uh, uh, that's how I got started that's not where I stayed I think I moved on from there and uh, after three years of just learning how to work with kids um, we then moved on to a small church plant in Holland and uh, we kind of pioneered uh, children's work in this new setting which is great fun had a whole bunch of kids that came with us. I think we probably had about a third of kids in the church compared to adults, which was great. And uh, that gave us lots of experience, just kind of learning how to do rotors and teams and uh, programs. Uh, And then uh, after doing that for uh, three years, we kind of felt God speaking to us about uh, coming to the UK to do an internship, just to learn a little bit more, have some more theological foundation. So we moved to the very Norwich. I was here for four years. And uh, after one year, uh, we uh, uh, were involved with a um, new congregation launch in Mile Cross, just down the road here. And uh, we pioneered a kids club for reaching kids from the estate, doing home visits, after school clubs, holiday clubs, working with the local schools, uh, a whole new world opened up for us, uh, which is really, really uh, interesting, uh, made lots of mistakes, learned much. And then uh, five years ago, we moved to uh, Peterborough and uh, we took a, a fledgling church there and uh, tried to bring it, give it some new life alongside uh, Adam and Lorna, who'd moved over there a year earlier. So we have been working hard for the last five years. Uh, I think it was a little bit different from starting fresh. It was almost like changing something. So when we got there, um, I think uh, we went through the children's cupboards and we decided to throw out anything that was older than five years. And I think we had one little box left after that. Uh, And uh, we said to the kids' workers, we're going to do something new. And uh, anyone who doesn't really have faith or excitement for that, uh, uh, thank you very much for serving. You can be released to do something else. Uh, We were left with two teenagers after that that said we'll stick around. And everyone else said, great, we're going to do something else. Um, So we start all over again with a handful of kids and uh, by God's grace we've seen lots and lots of exciting stuff over the last few years. So at the moment we've got generally 25, 30 kids. Uh, I think going from a handful for us that has been a massive uh, improvement. And really, like trying to lay a foundation in the church of reaching uh, kids. And uh, I think for me, probably the most defining moment in doing uh, children's work was uh, when we were in Holland, we were involved in a conference uh, doing some kids' work. We thought that would be fun. And then one of the evenings, we decided to um, uh, just wait on God and see what was going to happen. And uh, as we were praying with the kids, um, I I can remember like it was yesterday, the Holy Spirit came. And uh, I come from a brethren background, so anything to do, with that sight so kind of always make me a little bit uncomfortable um, but I kind of started to get used to it and uh, the kids started laughing they were kind of out of control a little bit uh, and then at, at, at one moment it just like flipped it's like the Holy Spirit came and suddenly laughing went over into crying. Um, uh, the kids were convicted of their sin. Uh, I think just seeing eight, nine-year-olds uh, sitting on the floor crying, uh, asking Jesus uh, to forgive them for the things that they'd done. Uh, and then uh, I think just seeing them meeting with God in a very very personal way was amazing. Um, I remember uh, at some point it started to kind of move on from there and uh, the kids actually started to pray for some of the adults uh, and uh, prophesying over the adults. I, I was, My eyes were like popping open uh, and then uh, my wife was there um, she was kind of struggling through the conference because her, her back really hurt. Uh, she'd hurt her back at work uh, a, a year before that and uh, she couldn't sit longer than 10 minutes. She couldn't stand. She couldn't really walk uh, for very long and uh, three little girls... Uh, Went over to pray for her, for her back, and I remember seeing her standing and the three little girls, and I thought, oh, what a nice thing for them to do. Uh, and then I saw her starting to move in a way that I'd not seen for a long time. And uh, at that moment in time, her back was instantly healed. Um, she came away uh, just amazed about what God had done. And uh, I think ever since, I just feel this huge passion to introduce. Uh, kids to jesus uh, also i've got great expectation of what god can do through children i think just seeing that uh make me realize that as an adult i'd not even gotten that close uh, and seeing god working that through kids make my eyes just grew wider and wider uh, and ever since i just got this huge passion to see children released For God's kingdom. Uh, And I think sometimes we've got ideas and expectations about running programs and nice clubs and nice ideas, but actually underneath uh, is a God that can work through children as powerful as he can through adults. And uh, as adults, we've got the privilege to serve them, to introduce them to Jesus, but also help them release their gifting. Uh, and what God has for them. So uh, I think today I want to talk a little bit about um, discipling the children that God gives us. Uh, that's a very important role because we want to make sure that we don't lose the children that God has given us, uh, as well as looking at ways that we can practically reach out to children and uh, find some ways of actually uh, introducing them to Jesus and introducing them to the gospel. So before I get started I thought maybe we could do a little bit of brainstorming together. Um, If you're seeing all the way at the back maybe you might need to come a little bit further forward so we can hear you. Um, If you were to take a moment, maybe twos or threes, just to have a little think. When you think about reaching children with the gospel in the 21st century, what do you think are the obstacles... And what do you think are the opportunities? So, one hand, what do you think are the obstacles when we are trying to reach children with the gospel? And on the other end, what do you think are the opportunities that we have around? Do you want to have a little chat? Small groups, and then uh, I'll write a few down, and we'll try to kind of take those as a springboard to what we're going to do this afternoon. Righty. You ready? my English spelling is terrible so I'm going to have to uh, have a little bit of help somebody who would like to write some stuff down do you want to come help me? a very eager volunteer fantastic so let's divide this in two uh, one end will uh, pop the um, opportunities and the other one we'd we'll look at the obstacles right, shall we start with the uh, positives some opportunities so when you look around, reaching children with the gospel what are some doors that we can walk through some ways that we can reach children with the gospel anyone? Who said that? Sorry. Yeah. Technology. technology, yes. We live in a social media-driven world. Absolutely. It's also obstacle technology.
1: That's what they want to do all the time. Yeah. <laughs> it, hard yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, technology seems to automatically draw their attention, so rather than try to get them away from it, maybe we could redeem it. That's a very good idea. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, you can go for Collis, whatever you want. Stories, yeah. Let's not underestimate the power of stories, absolutely. Yeah. The, um children, when you
1: give them attention, you know when you spend time listening to them, I think it's yeah. unique for them, um, and so I think that's a real positive. Really, yeah.
0: Kind of Personal relationship, attention, yeah, especially in the age of family breakdown, relationships uh, breakdown, I think that's very important, Yeah. That's better. So we've got technology, we've got stories. Is
1: that an opportunity? Opportunity,
0: yeah. I guess technology is an opportunity as well, isn't it? Yeah. Can be an obstacle, yeah. Yeah. Great relationships was another opportunity. Any other suggestions? Mentoring in schools is a good opportunity. Yeah. Yeah, mentoring schools. I mean specifically with government funding kind of going down actually there's an opportunity uh for us to step into that yeah. Things
1: like social initiative things like make lunch.
0: Yeah. Yes. Yeah, make lunch. So uh we'll hear a little bit more about that later on. Um sports. Yeah, very good. Yeah. Yeah, social networking. So what sort of form would that take? Yeah, yeah Conversational learning Yeah, yeah Conversational approach Yeah, really important with kids As far as Sundays goes, There's lots of stuff on Sundays now Which kids do which Yeah kids do Yeah, so an obstacle is Just the amount of choice Of clubs that the kids have uh, if, uh, if your kids club is one of those choices Then that could be an obstacle Yeah, absolutely Any other obstacles? Adults expectations, like Yeah, it. expectations Yeah, our expectations Yeah, absolutely It's
1: not an opportunity and an obstacle um, It's
0: really
1: the fact
0: that kids particularly from non-Christian homes, have got no clue Yeah, sure. yeah, yeah Yeah, yeah So uh, no religious background, no cultural background, no understanding of Christianity, not even the basics, yeah Yeah. So they're also open to that? Yeah. Yeah. So there's an opportunity as well as a challenge? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, so no Christian background, so no Christian upbringing, no kind of frame of reference to kind of point children towards. Yeah. yeah a
1: big obstacle is, is one of fear, isn't it, in terms of um, if you were to bring God into, say, the classroom,
0: into yeah. a situation, whether that would yeah parents complain yeah, that sort of the whole legal yeah. Situation so yeah. yeah fear of evangelizing in a professional context, yeah absolutely, and you do hear stories about people losing their jobs um, because of that, yeah absolutely specifically uh, I think in uh, uh, situations with children that's even more sensitive than with adults, yeah. Okay, well that's a great start. I think uh, I'll, I'll try to kind of pick a few of those off as we go and we'll explore a few other things together if that's okay. Um, what I want to do is just look at the uh, kind of subject of children's uh, reaching children with the gospel through a couple of different lenses, and uh, some of it you might be quite familiar with, others actually you might not even have given the slightest thought. So uh, I'm going to try to uh, gain your attention, taking you through a few of those. Uh, and uh, uh, some of those you kind of go, yeah, that, oh, that's really helpful. Others you kind of, well, I've maybe never even thought about that. So hopefully I can uh, lift your eyes a little bit towards that as well. So the, the first one... Uh, I'd like to take you through uh, is a theological lens. So, I mean, why do we do children's ministry in the first place? Why would we reach children with the gospel? Uh, It's really important to know that we've got a biblical understanding of that before we actually start to shape some of our practical approaches to that. So, um, if I was to ask you the question, why do you think God created children? I mean, he could have grown adults on trees. He could have, like, multiplied them like cells do. Like clones. Um, uh, He could have uh, found many different ways of uh, multiplying the human race. But he chose children. Why do you think he chose children? They're more interesting than adults, yeah. Yeah, very good. Yeah. Yeah. So, I think when we look at kind of children multiplying uh, the human race on earth, it gives us a picture of actually who God is as a father. It gives us an understanding uh, of how God relates to us in a way that we would have never known without the Father. So when Jesus walked the earth with his disciples, he uh, called children in, and say, "Look at this! Look at this example! I want you kind of to see that." As well as he uh, referred to the image of God as a Father very strongly. And uh, without children in this world, we wouldn't have any idea. So it, it, children are not a necessary evil. It's not like until they're 18 suddenly uh, we kind of need to deal with that. Actually, it's a real opportunity for us to learn what God is like as a Father. But it takes humility to sit down with a child and actually listen. Listen to them and and kind of allow that to speak to our hearts. Um. So when we look at uh, kind of the very, very start, uh, God created family, created children right from the start. Uh, He didn't say to Adam and Eve, after the fall, multiply. He said, before the fall, I want you to multiply. And uh, he said he wanted to multiply so that the the glory of uh, God would fill the earth. And we can see um, that um, in uh, Genesis 1, um, uh, that the the reflection of God uh, was carried in the human body. So Adam and Eve reflected God uh, as a heavenly father. And we can See that their children actually reflected something of Adam and Eve, and they were supposed to reflect something of their parents that reflected something of God. And as children would multiply across the earth, the reflection of God would multiply across the earth. Now, what we can see is that before the first children were born, something went wrong, the fall happened, and we see that the image that Adam and Eve carried of God became broken. So now, uh, uh, when you look at the human race, uh, we don't no longer see a perfect reflection of who God is, we see a broken reflection of who God is comes in so when their children were born what we see is that that brokenness gets multiplied uh, the reflection that they carry of their parents is a broken reflection uh, uh, of a broken reflection of god so what we see is that mess starts to spread around the earth where before actually glory was intended to be spread so by the time we get to noah things are really really bad i mean uh, abel and cain you can already see it at the very start uh, their children did not reflect the glory of god in the way that they were supposed to so ever since every child that gets born into this world will reflect something of their parent that reflects something of their parent of their parent their parent, that ultimately reflects something of the brokenness of Adam and Eve now there's lots of theological debates Um, does that then mean that children are born innocent Um, or actually when we look at the biblical picture because brokenness gets multiplied right from the start actually the image of their creator is broken from the very start we need to reach out to children because they need to be saved Um, And I think when we look at the Bible, it's really hard to try and find some evidence that somehow kids are innocent until they reach a certain age. Um, You can see, I mean, being a parent myself, you can see something of the brokenness from the very start, can't you? Sin is just natural. It comes natural to them. I don't have to teach them to disobey me. It's kind of hardwired into their system. So therefore, the gospel is vital for children. It's not a nice thing for them to encounter. It's vital for their salvation. Um, At the same time, um, we need to understand that salvation comes through faith comes from faith doesn't it it doesn't come from understanding uh it, it doesn't even come from knowledge it comes from faith and faith comes as a result of revelation the only way that you can put your trust in god is if god reveals himself to you and because revelation is not dependent upon our wisdom it also means that god can reveal himself to children in a unique way from a very early age it would be unfair if they need salvation but they couldn't understand salvation um god actually reaches out to children in magnificent ways um This week, I was interviewing somebody that um, uh, was looking into becoming a member at our church, and uh, she grew up in uh, Latvia, a very unchurched area, and I asked her, how did you become a Christian? And she told me that when she was four years old, uh, she found a children's Bible in the house. Her parents were not Christians, nobody in her family was Christian. Uh, As far as she knew, in her village, she didn't know any Christians. And whilst reading her children's bible she saw a picture of jesus with children on his lap and she said that was the moment i became a christian that was the moment that god revealed himself to me and that was such a uh, an amazing uh, story that i thought actually that shows how god reveals himself to us that goes beyond understanding now a lot of children won't be able to articulate their faith in that way but we can trust that god can reveal himself to children um it says in uh, Luke 10 verse 20 um, the disciples just come back from their great commission. Uh, they've reached lots of people with the gospel, and even the demons listen to them. And uh, Jesus says this, he says, uh, Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven, that you're saved. And then he goes on to say, At that time, Jesus, full of joy through the Holy Spirit, said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned, and have revealed them to little children. And that's amazing, isn't it? Even Jesus has faith that God can reveal himself to little children. Um, I did a little bit of theology, background study in this, because I thought, oh, that's a really nice idea. I like that as a children's worker, but let's see if there's some other people that like that. So Wayne Gruden, in his Systematic Theology, I'm sure you've used that last week in your children's session, um, uh, wrote in his uh, Systematic Theology, uh, under the Doctrine of Salvation, God is able to save infants in an unusual way, apart from their hearing and understanding the gospel, by bringing regeneration to them early, sometimes even before birth. So when God sent his Holy Spirit... Uh, to uh, anoint John in the womb of his mother, he uses that as an illustration of God uh, uh, actually being able to reveal himself uh, and actually reveal the child that was in Mary's womb to the child that was in Elizabeth's womb in a supernatural way. I mean, that's amazing, isn't it? So if God could move supernaturally, uh, even in the womb of a mother, then clearly he's able to reveal himself to any child at any age. Um Spurgeon says, To convert children as children and to regard them as being as much as believers as their seniors is regarded as absurd. To this supposed absurdity I claim with all my heart. I do too. I hope you too. God can save children. He can. And uh, it's not due to our great teaching, it's not even due to our great faith and role models, although clearly uh, that has an impact. He can reveal himself to children that live in Latvia when they're four, year, uh, four years old but not a Christian uh, in a five-mile radius. That's amazing, isn't it? Um, next to that, Jesus also gives us a command. Um, he's not only happy about the fact that he can theologically save children, he also wants us to reach out to save children. So when we read in uh, Matthew 18, um, Jesus um, uh, gets one of the children to come stand in the midst of his disciples, and he says, whoever welcomes a child like this welcomes me. And then he goes on to say uh, in verse uh, 6, so this is Matthew 18 verse 6, his tone changes, and suddenly his teeth start to get gritted and he gets angry. He says, if anyone causes one of these little ones, those who believe in me, to stumble, it would be better for them to have a large millstone hung around their neck and be drowned in the depths of the sea. So when you think about lovely, cuddly Jesus, hearing some of those words suddenly change your perspective. Um... The reality is, for all, of, uh, all, all, all we need to do sometimes uh, for evil to prevail in the lives of children and for them to be lost is for the churches to do nothing. All we need to do to see children lost and make Jesus angry is for us to do nothing. To sit around and look at a generation getting lost. We have got a command from Jesus to reach his people with the gospel, specifically children from an early age so he can't just theologically save children and is excited about that he also wants us to reach out to the children uh, that we have with us and he also wants us to explain the gospel to them and believe that he will save and my life would make no sense apart from this and i think as a children's worker sometimes we think it's a nice thing to work with children and maybe perhaps adults are a bit scary for us But the reality is, we've got a commission from Jesus to reach children with the gospel. Now, we need to understand that faith is not just a one-moment event for children. So the fact that God can reveal himself to an unborn child, uh, I might have some theological debates with some of you afterwards, Um, that is a start. That is not the end goal. And actually, uh, it's really important for us to understand that there are stages in faith for a child that they need to develop in order to come to maturity in their faith. And uh, I think often we forget that this development uh, needs our input. So let me just quickly paint you the picture of developing faith so we can understand how we uh, are to reach out to children and also help them to mature in their faith. So first of all, um, there's experiential faith. So um, uh, the first impression that a child has when it comes to the creche is the people that are serving, the toys that are set out, the stories that are being read. He cannot grasp what you're saying, but he can experience what you're saying. Uh, And in that way, our environment and even our approach is really, really important, even sometimes more important than the words that we say. Secondly, when they start to understand a little bit more about what you're saying, they intuitively grasp what uh, you're saying. So they can't fully understand it, but intuitively um, they grasp what you're saying. So when we talk about prayer, they might intuitively kind of get that they can talk to God, and they might actually talk to God, but when you ask them to explain it, they can't explain it. Um, Then the third phase is concrete faith. So now a child moves on from having an experience to intuitively grasping what you're saying to actually understanding, making some sense of what you're saying. So when they come to concrete faith, they can actually articulate uh, their faith. They can actually talk about Jesus being important to them, having a relationship with Jesus. They can even articulate probably some of the basics of their faith. Um, but unless we move them onto this last category, they won't have developed a solid personal faith. So the last category is tested faith. and we can often see this happening during uh, uh, teenage years where their faith gets tested. Big questions are getting asked. So um, uh, if evolution is true, then how come the Bible teaches us about creation? Um, what sort of of explanation have you got for the fact that there might be a God? Uh, If there's a loving God, then why does he send people to hell? Unless they learn to formulate their faith and defend their faith, their faith becomes something that they'll disown. Uh, And actually, we need to help them to create faith that is solid faith and tested faith all the way through. So you can see that actually salvation... We believe uh, is a revelation from God and is an event at one moment in time. Uh, we must do, because otherwise it holds no uh, value to us. But we can also see it's not the end journey. Uh, we need to help children from one phase to the next phase, so we shouldn't just talk to them about nice Bible stories. We also need to ask them hard questions and allow them to grapple with that. Now, you're not going to do that with your two-year-old toddlers, uh, but definitely when they get to the later stages of primary school, Why not do a series on tough questions about the Bible? It's important for them to understand that. (coughs) So that's the theological lens. Does that make sense? Why don't you turn to the person next to you and just have a a two-minute chat um, whilst I catch my breath um, and uh, (coughs) just chat through what that means for you in practice. Yeah? Righty. You ready for the next lens? Yeah. Do you feel a bit stretched in your thinking? I don't ask you to all agree with me. I'm just trying to help you think. So if if you need a bit of time to process some of these things, don't just take them as my words. Think about them yourself. Test them. Um, second lens: cultural lens. Let's uh, spend a little bit of time looking at the culture that we live in. So we already kind of explained that lots of the children that grow up today have no understanding of the basics of Christianity. And that's absolutely true. Let me just walk you through the last 60 years uh, in about two minutes so you understand how we uh, arrived at the 21st century and understanding what that means for our approach to kids. Is that okay? Baby boomer generation. Who's part of the baby boomer generation here? Yes, a few hands going up, very discreet, very good. Um, 1950s till 1980s, um, we could see that there was a strong move, some people feel convicted now, oh do I fit in my category.
1: Um,
0: From 1950 to 1980, we can see that there was a a stage after the the Second World War where uh, the economy started to thrive, um, uh, kind of modern thinking started to come in, and what we can see that there was a, um, a rapid decline in church attendance. We see, many people move away from Christianity. Um, but then we can see that kind of uh, 1950s, 1980s, also the evangelistic crusades came up. So Billy Graham started to do his rounds. Uh, and we can see that actually a lot of people that moved away from faith in their teenage years uh, actually came back to Christ later in their adult years. Uh, and because um, uh, people were able to have a basic framework of what Christianity was, we can see that during the Crusades all that needed to happen was for them to make an appeal and people being conscious of needing to come back to Christ. Then we see 1990, 2010, uh, kind of Generation X, we can see that scepticism starts to come into the modern thinking. and Actually, scepticism towards the church grows rapidly. We can see that it was no longer uh, uh, the, the, the the kind of uh, overall mentality of the country, there was a lot of people moving away from Christianity, and also the church started to be kind of being put a little bit in a negative light, sometimes deserved, sometimes undeserved uh, and uh, We can see that rather than just telling uh, people about the gospel, the church felt needed to earn uh, the trust of people in order to tell them about the gospel. So we can see that uh, the birth of community churches uh, ninety to two thousand and ten we see that churches opened their doors. Try to invite people into the community before they actually talk them about the gospel to gain trust and um, then we can see that kind of generation x bucking all the trends uh, most of those didn't actually return to faith in their adult years whilst they've left during their teenage years and um, we can see that many got lost to the church uh, and now we can see that the millennials are the first generation that are actually growing up um, with parents that have got no understanding or affiliation with church and actually they don't have any affiliation with church so therefore they grow up in uh, a world where actually there's very little basic understanding about Christianity. Maybe granddad or grandma might tell them about church now and then, um, but we can see that we kind of moved away uh, from Christianity as a basic understanding. Because we live in a Christian culture, most people would actually still believe that they are Christians without actually understanding what it is to be a Christian. So, um, what we can see is that um, so- suddenly uh, in the last kind of ten, twenty years, there's a strong secularization of our culture, so therefore, the church has been pushed outside of most of uh, the important shaping roles of society like science, politics. Uh, church has got very little influence in that. We can see that faith undergoes a privatization over the last uh, decade where actually faith is great for you but keep it to yourself and in your house it's not something to talk about to in general and we can see that there's a pluralization where actually there's many 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 different beliefs that now uh, are circling across our society and we can also see that there's new religions being born uh, like almost uh, every year uh, and children suddenly have got this huge maze of religion uh, to kind of navigate that um, probably the um, uh, the the previous generations had no understanding of and weren't even asked to consider. Now, that's not necessarily a bad thing, but it's the reality uh, of our world today. Um, Because we're in a a um, post-Christian society... It's not that people have no understanding about Christianity. People think they have understanding about Christianity but have dismissed it. So therefore, for us, it's almost even harder to present people with the gospel because it's not like they have no idea what it is. It's actually they think they have an idea and they think that idea is probably not positive. So as a church, um, that is a massive uh, challenge for us. We can also see that religion starts to become uh, a bit more popularized. So when you watch TV... It's not like religion doesn't get mentioned, it gets tweaked. So modern uh, religion and Christianity gets tweaked by lots of celebrities We live in a celebrity culture. So therefore, what's communicated are all sorts of vague ideas that are not related to Christianity, but presented as Christianity. Um, We can see that um, there's a, a general understanding that all religions are of same importance and that all roads lead to the same God. Um, We can see that uh, God can be found everywhere and anywhere, especially in ourselves. We just need to look inside. Um, We can see that sin and evil uh, are kind of uh, nasty words. You don't really use those. I did a bit of research actually the Oxford Junior Dictionary has deleted the word sin out of the children's uh, uh, uh dictionary so it doesn't need, it's no longer exist in our dictionary um and uh, absolute statements of truth are, are considered as intolerant unacceptable and so we can see that the uh, uh, the culture of today uh, in which the children are growing up uh, is a, a very different culture from perhaps the culture that we've grown up So understanding those challenges are going to be really important for us to reach out to children. When we present the gospel to them, they might have no idea what you're talking uh, about. When you say what the gospel means, they have all sorts of ideas about what it means, so you actually need to dismantle some of those thoughts before you actually go further. (coughs) So, um, moving on from a, a cultural lens to a practical lens that does make me nervous (laughs) it's okay (laughs) Um, what are some ways that we actually have sought to engage kids with the gospel um, before we kind of look at how we would like to engage with children and the gospel so if you were to kind of think over the last 20 years um, what are some ways in which the church has tried to engage with children uh, uh, and present the gospel to them what sort of things can you think about It's clubs, yeah, Bible weeks, yeah. Uh, there's a thing called Open Book, that goes into schools. Yeah. School assemblies, projects, yeah, Open the Book is one of those, yeah. Residential weekends. Residential weekends. camps, yeah. Any other thoughts? Outreach. Outreach, yeah, outreach projects. We've seen the bus ministries, haven't we? Yeah. Say it again. Toddler groups, yeah, mums and toddler groups, yeah. Any other suggestions? Make lunch. Make lunch, yeah. It's a very modern development, yeah. (coughs) Say it again. Youth Youth groups, yeah. Um, so if we look back over kind of 1970s till now, we kind of seen the development uh, of children ministry where family services were kind of advocated. Uh, Ishmael probably w- would be a name that uh, you recognise if you have grown up in the UK. was completely alien to me when I moved from Holland, but we've got equivalents. Uh, Hermann Bone would be one of those, um, but uh, you wouldn't know. <coughs> um, we can see that uh, Sunday clubs... Um, junior church kind of uh, was established kind of a move away from sunday school kind of almost losing the educational image of sunday school um, making it into a bit of a club we can see bill wilson starting his metro sunday school uh, site walk sunday school bus ministries that then came over to the uk uh, resulting into big projects like the liverpool kids project and um, we can see the Leeds Kids Project, and uh, we can see uh, the Hastings Kids Project from our very own New Frontiers, um, and you can see that uh, the, the main approach was trying to reach children with the gospel by inviting them to come into an outreach environment. Um, uh, we can see that uh, um, the that the kind of advocation was trying to bring the news into the world of kids, and uh, I think that's resulted into good fruit. Some people have even kind of Um, moved on from that and now become adults and actually serving children themselves. Um, But there has been a fundamental shift, uh, I think, in the approach of uh, children's ministry. So uh, probably the best way to illustrate that is with a little picture. So um, if before, so kind of 1950s to 1980s, uh, we were able to tell people about the gospel and get them to commit to the gospel, and there was almost like having to take them through the last step of commitment in order to bring people to faith. So let's say um, uh, the journey of coming to faith is one from zero to ten, and let's say that in terms of becoming a Christian, uh, zero is having no understanding about God whatsoever, and ten is having a living relationship with Jesus. What we can see in the last few decades uh, is that there's been a trend where people have moved from a basic understanding of Christianity, let's say that's an 8, further away down the scale, and actually most people would now be around a 3, having heard of Christianity, but not really fully grasping and understanding it, but dismissing it. So. When we talk about evangelism, crusades were great in terms of rallying people, helping people to make the last step. We're now into a season where actually, when you tell people about the gospel, that little step is too small. Uh, Bringing them one step further doesn't mean they kind of commit themselves to Christ. So uh, going out in the street with a sign around your neck saying Jesus saves is probably not the most effective way uh, of doing evangelism in this day. It doesn't mean that God can't say through that. I'm not saying that. Um, but actually people don't have a basic understanding about who Jesus saves and what he saves you from and how he saves you it doesn't spark a childhood memory of growing up in church so what we see is that it's almost like evangelism has moved on from an event to a journey First of all, we need to help to establish a positive image of uh, Christianity and church so we can see actually in our decade, uh, like lunch clubs and other activities, social action is a very important way of actually showing people the positive uh, image of Christianity. And we then need to move them to some basic understanding about the gospel, that maybe some of their thinking isn't uh, quite what Christianity is about. Uh, Helping them to understand who Jesus is, helping them understand about what Christianity actually is, what discipleship is, almost to the point where they can then make a commitment to Christ. So, big gospel-focused rallies are not so much happening these days, are they? Not so much as they used to. And it's not to say that they're not effective, because there might be people that are in this bracket, and actually all they need is one step. But we can see that actually, on average, our approach probably needs to move on from event-based evangelism to uh, a journey-based evangelism. We need to take children and adults on a journey in order to bring them to Christ. You can see this in um, the New Testament. So when you look at... Um, uh, Acts 2, you can see Peter going out into the street, declares the gospel, 3,000 people getting saved. That's amazing, isn't it? What he did, he was talking to religious Jews that were expecting a Messiah that had a basic understanding about God. Um, And in that moment, you can see that just explaining that Jesus is the Messiah, brought people to Christ. When you then move on um, to Paul in Acts 17, uh, he finds himself at Mars Hill. Uh, He's in a culture full of pagans where there's no basic understanding uh, about a a monotheistic God. Well, actually, there's a very pluralised religious environment. And what he does, he doesn't start with Jesus... Um, He finds a touchstone in the culture, an altar to the unknown gods, and says, let me tell you about the unknown god. And then he starts all the way at creation... And then works his way forward to explain who that God is. So what you can see is that Paul takes them on a journey to understand um, Christianity and doesn't expect them to uh, understand it in one go. So he learns to build bridges into the culture in order to bring people to the gospel. So it doesn't mean that we don't talk about the gospel, but it means we need to do that in a way that we bring people through. So... um, When it comes to children, we need to understand, because they don't have a basic framework, as soon as we start to talk about Jesus, we can't assume that they get it in one go. We need to help them to actually first enable them to build a framework in order to then lead them to an understanding about Jesus. Now, it doesn't mean that they can't intuitively grasp what you're saying, but that isn't mature faith yet. We need to help them to move along the line. So if you compare it to a, um, um, uh, let's say you're trying to book a trip and you uh, want to uh, uh, take a plane to go to Greece. Um, now, if you're interested in flying and wanting to go to Greece, what you do is you go on the web and you kind of compare different uh, airlines and you think, well, that one's probably the best. I, I like that one, um, so therefore I choose that one, and uh, you go with it. If we compare that with our approach to kids' ministry... Um, we could kind of try to convince people to come to our kids' work. So we do a big fly ring around around the city to let them know that we're there uh, and uh, actually try to show them that we're the best kids, kids' ministry in town, so therefore all the kids need to come to us. The problem is that you then make an assumption that people are interested in what you've got to offer. Let's say that you're not interested in making a journey at all. Let's say that you're not interested in flying at all. That means when you are going around trying to advocate your airline, you can't start with the fact that we're the best airline. People are, well, who cares? I don't want to fly. You actually then need to take people on a journey uh, to get them to fly, to get them to want to fly first before they actually make a commitment to your airline. In the same way, I think we can't assume doing a big fly around is suddenly going to fill our kids' ministry with children because actually if parents are unconvinced that this is going to be a good thing for their kids, they won't send their kids would they now doesn't mean that it's not effective but we'll probably need to add a few more things in order to make that effective so having looked at the um, uh, the kind of cultural lens theological lens practical lens uh, let's kind of try to land it into uh, kind of where we are now and let's do some brainstorming together about how we can reach children in the most effective way and I haven't got clear answers for you. I've just listed all the problems to you. I have done a bit of thinking about that, so I'd love to facilitate a bit of thinking together on how we can uh, reach children in the most effective way based on what we've just heard and what we've actually been thinking about. Are you up for helping me with that? Yeah, I can see I've sent some of you to sleep. That's okay. It's after lunch. Uh, I'll try and uh, wake you up with this last round. So let's look at the future lens. Um, let's look at how can we reach children most effectively uh, with the gospel. So, at uh, this conference we've been looking at works, uh, we've been looking at words, we've been looking at wonders, uh, it's an excellent principle in looking at reaching children with the gospel. As we've seen, uh, words are probably not enough, but compared, uh, combined with works and with wonders actually provide a journey on which we can take children to explore the Christian uh, faith. Now... Um, It's not the first time that the church has been in decline and we've lost lots of children uh, to the world. Uh, We can actually see that in the 18th century uh, exactly the same thing happened. But in the 18th century, the Sunday school movement was birthed, and we can see that they found a very um, successful way of reaching out to children and bringing the gospel into their world. So we can see that Robert Reichs uh, was a bit of an entrepreneur, he had a, uh, a newspaper, uh, and uh, he uh, he looked around in society and he could see the kids just being lost to the church. He walked around on Sundays and he could see all these kids playing on the streets, and uh, because the educational system wasn't strong, a lot of them got lost, and he thought, we need to do something about this and he thought prevention probably will be better than a cure so let's try and find a way of empowering children and actually introduce them to the church in a new way so what he did was he started Sunday schools. so he offered education to fulfill a social need uh, and actually empower children to move out of their kind of poverty-stricken environment and what he did is did that on Sundays to uh, teach them about the Bible he used the Bible as his textbook and the catechisms uh, as his way of teaching them how to read And then alongside that, he brought them to church. Uh, He made connections with their families by doing home visits, visiting the children. Uh, He gave them lots of rewards for uh, kind of learning Bible verses and those sort of things. Um, Now, we might question that motive, but actually, it worked. Uh, We can see that in the 18th century, there was a massive move of children coming in the context with uh, church uh, and uh, understanding Christianity and power to rise out of their poverty-stricken environment. Uh, And what we can see... Is actually by the turn of the century, the 1900s, uh, there's an ex- uh, kind of estimation that 85% of all children in the UK were in contact with either a Sunday school or a church. Six million children. Now, you look back and you think, we- we've got something to learn, haven't we? learning how to empower, socially empower children, fulfill social needs at the same time, introducing them to the church and to the gospel, connect with their families. I mean, those are very strong uh, uh, strands into a powerful approach to reach children with the gospel. So what I would love to do together is to try to think that through and how we can almost see a new approach to children's ministry uh, and reach children with the gospel uh, and uh, i hope that's going to bring us a new uh, revival when it comes to seeing children coming back into the sphere of the church and reaching them with the gospel so let's start where robert wright starts works his first approach was to fill a need in society and uh, teach children educate them and actually help them to rise out of their kind of struggles in the day that they were at Um, why don't you take a moment uh, maybe uh, threes and fours people that you've not connected with yet have a little discussion in your groups What sort of ways uh, could we reach children uh, with social action and actually uh, provide a solution to some of the needs that we can see uh, in their uh, everyday life? So think about the needs that children face today and then think about some ways that we as a church could meaningfully engage with those needs. Uh, And there's actually probably some projects that are already happening so it doesn't all have to be new. Uh, But just share that together and then we'll uh, uh, write it on the um, flip chart after that and then we'll take the next one. Yeah? It's probably a little bit unfair to stop you here, because uh, I know you just got going. Um, but let's try and kind of bring a few ideas together uh, that you've been chatting about. Uh, we don't have to kind of solve everything in one go, but just a little bit of creative thinking on how we can approach some of the needs that we have in our society. Um, the really important thing is that we that we don't too quickly jump to uh, Christian solutions. So when Jesus asks us to be good news, it, it doesn't always come with a, a little tag that says, and now we're going to tell you what the gospel is all about, is actually just obeying God by being good news to children and actually fulfilling a need. That's really important. So uh, we can see that through the decades, Christians caring for the sick. Um, Actually, it's a very powerful demonstration, but it is just fulfilling a need. Um, And uh, even if they might not get saved, that is still our commission to fulfill the needs in our society. So what sort of kind of... Uh, needs, could you spot when you were just talking, and, and what sort of solutions could you kind of see come out of that? So, when you look at needs in society for the kids, what sort of needs could you could you immediately see? Poverty, yeah. Let's just list those first before we go into solutions. Yeah, poverty. Yeah, family breakdown. Yeah. Any yeah, others? Pressure on the kids from school. Yeah. So and actually there's a failing education uh, stream where actually when you got these factors working together you could see a drop rate, some of the mentoring kind of comes in there. Yeah, and also I mean I don't think the such pressure. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, very good. Some more. Yeah, so lack of uh, self-esteem, actually lacking encouragement from the home, yeah. 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 Yeah, massive, yeah, identity struggle. And it, yeah 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 and actually there's so many choices now to choose from it's really difficult to even know what sort of direction to set in yeah not sure how to capture that in a word have you got a suggestion <laughs> purpose like a purpose yeah I think with that comes isolation a lot of children feeling isolated even though they've got lots of context on social media that doesn't always mean meaningful relationships I think there's been some research about the correlation of the amount of social media usage and actually depression you can see that they're strongly linked which is funny because you think actually it uses um, a technology to build networks but those networks are not as fulfilling as actually uh, physical relationships I mean a one-to-one relationship yeah mental health, massive isn't it, yeah, it's been in the news lots, yeah, okay, so uh, before we all get depressed, I think we'll move over to, to some solutions, how we could engage with that, so what sort of things did you come up with, what sort of meaningful ways could we engage with children around those needs?
2: Yeah,
0: Yeah. so uh, what, what, what would you visualise those activities to look like? Sports. Yeah. Yeah. So activity-based um, relationship-building, confidence-building, yeah. So consistency as well, so it's there, day in, week in, week out, like when I want. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I think there's been some research, isn't it, that uh, probably the most consistent person in a child's life is a teacher at the moment, rather than parents. Yeah, massive. Yeah, any other thoughts? Yeah, school mentoring. Yeah, and actually, a lot of schools are crying out for help, isn't it? Yeah. So I guess school mentoring takes lots of different forms, but I think uh, probably most of the popular kind of projects would actually send volunteers into the school uh, to come alongside some of the students that would struggle and to actually listen to them, hear what they've got to say. Um, I think uh, usually it's got some restrictions in terms of, it's not necessarily context in which you can share the gospel, but it's a way that you can support children that are struggling so there's some formal schemes that run, some schools run their own schemes and actually you could just tag in uh, to be a volunteer uh, and actually if you've got a good relationship with a school that you're building that's something that you could offer Yeah. I think the guys in Chafford 100 have got a scheme running so if you want to know a little bit more uh, Ellen will probably be the one to uh, talk to and hear a little bit more about that Yeah. I'm going to ask you to come up in a minute to share a little bit anyway so I think maybe you can S- scoop that straight in yes. So um it's Ellen right isn't it L L nearly I <laughs> thought I was l- it sounded a little bit longer than <laughs> what you told me last time um I met Elle um, a few months ago, I think we were just doing a little tour, uh, learning from different churches, and we went to visit the Chafford Hundred Church, and just kind of hearing what they were doing, and uh, I think I nearly forgot to eat my Chinese food as you were explaining what was happening, because uh, it was just fantastic, lots of ways of reaching out to children, and uh, I thought maybe she can share some of that herself, so here you go.
1: Yeah, I'm really, I'm really privileged um, to be in the position of leading social action on behalf of Community Church in Hundred. But if you guys remember Steve, uh, Steve Morris, who did that stuff, I've kind of taken over that mantle from him, um, and that's been a really exciting, really challenging journey. Um Oh, is this not working?
0: Clip that one. I'm still recording.
1: Oh, sorry. Let's go again. Um, <laughs> um, So, yeah, the journey so far has been good. See, so you've already put in place some really um, brilliant projects and supported other people to lead those. Um, one of those is our school mentoring programme. Um, and just because you mentioned it, I'll kind of talk about the programmes that we use in case that's helpful for you. Um, so we um, primarily at the moment partner with a social franchise project called TLG, which you guys might have heard of, um, and they train you and they equip you and give you loads of resources to go into schools um, as a team of volunteers from a local church and offer to come alongside children um, who are at risk of being excluded um, from school. And if you fancy finding out some um, stats and figures about um, the impact that school exclusions can have and what that likely is going to mean for that child when they're older, then that will probably be enough to convince you just from a quick Google that it's something the church should be getting involved in. Um, And that's something Steve was really, really passionate about, Um, That programme has developed now to the point where we have two full-time youth workers in two local secondary schools um, who are full-time in schools mentoring but also helping to manage behaviour on the playground to stop kids getting excluded and ultimately trying to improve their life chances. What's also part of that, very much part of um, the 180 project, which is what we call our social action stuff, is that it's not just about the children or the young people or the particular people group that um, each of the projects we do are targeting but it's about uh, a holistic approach to working for the whole family so all of the mentoring programs that we do we also include home visits as part of that so the mentor gets to go and meet the parents and share what they've been doing in the mentoring sessions um, and a chance to come alongside the parents who are probably also struggling if their children are struggling so I'd recommend that as kind of a project to you um, and a place to start if you're looking um, to work with schools to help support families Valter um, uh, also asked me to share um, a bit about uh, our lunch club so a couple of people have mentioned Make Lunch which is really exciting um, I kind of wear two hats so I do work to Make Lunch the charity so I'm slightly biased um, but I was running the project um, on behalf of my church before I worked for Make Lunch so I s- still think it's a great project <laughs> Um, and when um, I started the project, um, I was actually quite, already quite aware that, um, you know, it's fine to feed children and that's a good thing to do and it's something the church should do. Um, but also the fact that you can feed children one day and they'll still be hungry the next. And I had this real sense kind of from the start that it was never just going to be about physically feeding children. Um, but that I wanted to kind of ultimately introduce them to God, the person that can provide for them long term as well. Shocking (laughs) to breathe. So initially, that was going to look like running a prayer space alongside serving meals. Um, That didn't really happen for lots of practical reasons. But what I kind of found just by um, leading a team of people serving, cooking, putting on some crafts and games and sports activities, was that actually just by doing that and offering that for free, that was already kind of enough to get some conversations going. I remember on the second session of the first summer that we ran our Make Lunch project, um, this mum came up to me and she was like, so who's funding this project then? Like, why is this free? Like, surely I should be paying you for, for all of this stuff and the food. And I said, oh, well, the, the church are funding it because the, the church just wanted to do something in the community and kind of, you know, meet a need. Oh, okay. That's interesting. So, so why did, you know, what made you want to set it up? And you kind of have these beautiful little startings of a conversation um, with someone who's never really engaged with church before, doesn't really understand what we're about or why we do it or who this Jesus guy is that she's kind of heard of. Um, And suddenly I had the opportunity to kind of give her a glimpse into actually the person of Jesus and how he's generous and hospitable and welcoming and he's got a real heart for serving people um, and meeting people's needs. Um, What... um, I kind of get increasingly excited about is um, that I feel like there's a bit more of a move now. I think initially I was quite sceptical to go straight in and start talking about Jesus and talking about the church and talking about God with these families because I didn't want them to think that I was only feeding them so that I could bring them into church. That was never my motivation. I'd feed them whether they never, never worked through the door, walked through the door of church or not. Um, But actually, kind of on our journey, we found that people are a lot more open than what we expected. Um, Recently, uh, we just employed Lydia, who's sitting there, um, as our full-time family support worker for the 180 project, which has been like a real vision for a while and really, really exciting. Um, One of the first jobs I gave her was to go through the list of about... 60, 70 families that we've worked with over the last year through our Make Lunch project. And just give them a call, introduce ourselves, see if there's any other needs we can uh, help them address, um, offer to do a home visit, um, explain that we're part of a church and, you know, if they had anything they wanted us to pray for, um, that we'd be happy to do that. And there's has been this family that's been kind of on our books for two years, um, very sporadically coming, you know there's a lot of need there, but they never really opened up about what it was religious as says, oh, just so you know, like, you know, we're part of the church, so before I get off the phone, I just wondered if there are any prayer requests um, that that we could pray for for you as a church and put you on our prayer chain. And this mum said, oh, well, God, God must know that um, I've been really worried about my son because he told you to call me. And this is a family that, you know, I was, when I heard asked ask that question, I was like, oh, I don't know what the response is going to be. Um, they seem so far, their lifestyle so far away from Um, kind of a Christian lifestyle, I didn't even see that as a possibility. So that's been really exciting. We've had another family that turned up on the first day of Make Lunch. Um, We started Make Lunch just come up to four years ago, over the past four years. um, That mum has started Alpha twice, not finished it once, but hey-ho, she started it twice. Um, She's been to some of our Christmas services. Um, Her kids, um, if she says um, to her kids, oh, we're going to go to church on Sunday, um, her little girl always says, What the fun one. Mm. Um, And uh, a few weeks ago, um, we hadn't seen them very much like her. Um, She'd been volunteering with us. She managed to find some work in childcare. She was studying to become an LSA in a school. Everything was good. She didn't really need us anymore. She didn't have time to volunteer anymore. Um, But we invited her to um, see Dougie Doug Doug in Kids Church because we knew her kids would enjoy it. So she ended up staying in Kids Church with Dougie Doug Doug. And she ended up being roped into going up the front and playing an air guitar to this song that's declaring how Jesus is the saviour of the world. And it's on video and I was just like, what? Hello. Like this is crazy. Um, so kind of like Boucher said, like, um, sometimes people are starting from zero and it's lots of steps you have to take with them. We haven't yet had a family that have met Jesus. Um, kind of coming out of Make Lunch, but we've definitely got families that are on the way, mm-hmm. um, and very open. So, just kind of encouragement, mm-hmm. really, um, and just Make Lunch, mentoring, both those kind of programs, um, we found to be really useful to help us connect families in the community, um, and start moving people towards meeting Jesus.
0: Great. Thank you very much. Yeah, please feel free to hand those flyers out. Um, I mean, that's a really inspiring story, isn't it? Just a simple initiative. Um, I think it's really encouraging to see some new ways of uh, kind of filling a need. Uh, I think don't always feel like that's going to lead to salvation. Actually, we're called to be good news. And sometimes actually just to be good news without any strings attached is really important for us to almost re-image the church. Uh, you can hear those volunteers starting to talk about this very easily, uh, and actually sometimes talking about the way that the church does good uh, is almost as good as talking about the gospel, just showing what that means. So don't, when you run a Mums and toddler group or any other project, and you go, like, oh, we haven't seen anyone saved, don't worry, you're still doing God's mission. Surely you need to think kind of cleverly how you could build some bridges towards the church, but it's not how you should measure the outcome of your project. Um, There's probably loads more ideas uh, that you've been chatting through. Uh, We haven't really got the time to cover all of them. Uh, I just wanted to say uh, that I think sometimes uh, if you're in a church planting situation or if you're in a small church, uh, some of those big projects just feel unattainable and you think like, well, that sounds great, but I don't think we could afford a kids worker to do that or other things. Uh, I think what we must not forget is that a family is a really powerful place to do mission. Um, so actually inviting somebody, uh, maybe one of your children's friends over to come round and have a meal once a week uh, or just to be around the kids uh, is a really powerful way of actually showing care. Uh, and you don't need any programs for that. You can do that yourself uh, just around the schoolyard. I think there's lots of opportunities for personal uh, support. Uh, even if you can't run a lunch project, uh, actually you could find ways of maybe blessing a family in your street and other ways of reaching out. That's, they're all powerful ways uh, of doing that. Um, works combined together uh, very strongly with wonders I think we've been looking a little bit at that at this conference and uh, it's really important that we don't just do good uh, and to kind of uh, almost like like to re-image the church in a social way we also need to show the power of the gospel and uh, I think when it comes to children, for me, the experience of seeing my wife being healed by the prayer of three little girls really inspired me uh, just to see healing happening on a regular basis uh, through children. So um, I think as a family, we often pray for one another um, and uh, we want to make that a normal thing uh, just to actually involve the kids in prayer. And uh, we've seen some amazing stuff happening. Um, I think the other day we went out for uh, breakfast and uh, our middle daughter, Alina, uh, got out of the car, threw up because she was sick. She caught a Uh, And then uh, uh, before I knew what happened, my oldest daughter went over to pray for her. And thought, oh, that's a really nice thing. And uh, she said, Jesus, will you make a lean better and uh, stop this illness? And then uh, we went into the restaurant. We thought, well, this is going to be a cheap morning because we've got one less meal to pay for. And uh, she suddenly said, I would like some breakfast too. She's like, really? Are you sure? Um, So we bought her some breakfast and got the plastic bags ready. And uh, she ate whole full English breakfast Nothing came out, uh, and uh, uh, we're saying, clearly, God's done something special. And uh, without it having to be something that's forced, I think, just seeing God answering the prayer of a child, I think, is really important. Um, so I brought two uh, people, uh, I think, saw two people here that were at the last Epic Weekend. Do you want to quickly come and share your story? Because um, we uh, spent one of the evenings, so we had about 100 kids um, At Letton Hall, and uh, we asked the kids to pray for healing, and uh, I think these guys have got some exciting stories to tell you. So, if you could just really briefly explain what happened, uh, that would be amazing. Hang on.
1: Epic uh, weekend, um, which is for to 11-year-olds. Just on one of the final sessions, about to invite the children just to pray. And there was a big cutout of a a human body. And if they felt that God was wanting to heal a part of the body, God was giving them, you know. a word of knowledge, than to stick it on a plaster and stick it on the body. And I'd um, I'd come away that weekend with a chest infection and a very bad headache and sinus infection. And it just really I kind of risen above it, but it had been quite hard work for me. And um, and one of the things was praying for headache and sinus problems. And and some children came and prayed for me. And like you say, I thought, oh, this is nice. And you know, immediately the pain just lifted and. Uh, I was healed, and it was just such a glorious thing to be able to share that um, with 8th to 11th yeah,
2: um, I was at, again, I was at that same weekend and the same evening. I'll hold this bit closer. Um, yeah, and it's one thing being prayed for healing by, by grown-ups, but it's just another... It's just another step above, you know, that's that amazing thing when uh, when kids pray for you, you know. I had been um, foolishly absorbing with the children, um, thinking I was a child and I could bounce with them. Um, I didn't. I hit the ground hard on my shoulder and uh, I couldn't move my arm any higher than this. It was incredibly painful. Um, I went to bed and thought, oh, this is just, I'm, I'm going to have to go and have it seen too because I thought I might have dislocated my shoulder Vouter um, did the uh, uh, session on healing and the same thing happened and there's this uh, child that was in our group um, just stood there in front of me looking at me I was thinking, is, are you okay? and he said, oh, I just want to pray for you and so he prayed for me initially and the pain started to ease and so then uh, some of the other kids came over and Vance came over and, that, and they prayed. And then by the end of a bit, by the end of that session, I could lift my hand up high. There was no pain. It was perfect. It was, it was just amazing. And it was just such a privilege to have you know all those kids just gr- gather around you, just with that innocence of just yeah, God's here. He can do this. And just yeah, seeing amazing things through them.
0: Brilliant. it's a really handy device, isn't it? You got to be quick. <laughs> And that's just a few stories uh, of God healing through children. I would say most of the time we disregard praying with, he, with kids or we think it's a nice thing to do, actually expecting God to move. I mean, if his answer to uh, our prayers is through faith, then a child qualifies as much as you and me, doesn't it? Yeah. Actually, children are probably a little step ahead of us because they've got faith. Uh, that God will do something without having some, sometimes knowledge getting in the way uh, of asking God for that. So, I think making that a normal thing is really important. So, I, I think if you've got children, uh, make that a normal thing in your house. When somebody tells that they're ill, pray with them. Uh, let's see what God does. Um, uh, I think making uh, kind of discipleship in your home a normal thing is really important. Um, we often uh, play little games after dinner, so we've got a prayer game, so uh, it's just got a sheet of paper with uh, different icons, uh, n- a numbered one to nine, we've got a nine-sided dice, and they roll the dice and they can pray for something specific, friends or neighbours or something else, um, or... Um, uh, we uh, we often do uh, holy spot prayers, so our tablecloth has got lots of little white spots uh, on it, and uh, we've got one holy spot, so we kind of plonk one of the kids on the table after dinner. And so it's, uh, let, let's pray for you, let's prophesy, and we involve the other kids to come. Let's just pray together, uh, and uh, they just love it, sitting there kind of uh, just sharing words of knowledge together, uh, and uh, if we uh, uh, take them in a church meeting setting, or the kids club, we'll say, hey, what's God been speaking to you? Uh, I mean, we we... We've got to make the supernatural natural, don't we? Sometimes we get in the way loving to tell cute stories to children, but not actually expecting that God could move just as powerfully in them as as he did in the times of the stories happening. So I just want to encourage you. um, You don't need to have a lot of faith. God doesn't need to honour your faith uh, I think you can test him uh, on that and actually uh, uh, it's about the one who's faithful and I think just putting yourself out there, so uh, I came away, I mean we had 100 kids at the Epic Weekend and we prayed for lots of people uh, and there's two people that got healed, now I, I'm everywhere I go just thinking, let's pray for anyone that we can find, if we pray for lots of people then some will get healed, if we never pray for anyone no one will ever get healed, so I think just letting that natural uh, reaction uh, be I think is really important So, I hope those stories uh, have inspired you a little bit I mean there will be uh, a lot of other stories that I could draw out of this room that I know that people have experienced so I think do feel free to share that together um, the last element, words, uh, I don't think we've got quite time to cover that, um, but actually thinking really carefully about how you could teach your children well. And make sure that you use materials uh, that are based uh, on the gospel, not just nice stories, uh, is really important. There's some great resources out there. Uh, the Jesus Storybook Bible probably be my top recommendation um, just to allow every story to point to Jesus uh, because that's where lots of our energy already goes to. I've saved that one for last because I wanted to kind of encourage you and stimulate you with some of the other stories. Um, I hope this has been helpful. I could probably talk for another day about this subject, but I won't uh, because you need to get to your uh, uh, next uh, session. But thank you so much for coming. Um, Please make sure that you say hello to people in this room. There might be a lot of kids' workers that you could connect with, other people that could inspire you. Uh, I've just named a few uh, things. But uh, thank you very much for coming, and I hope it's blessed you. you.